The giving of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai stands as one of the pivotal points in human history. God delivered His people from the bondage of Egypt so that His people could properly and freely worship Him. This is exactly what Moses told Pharaoh. The mountaintop was understood to be the dwelling place of God. It was at Mount Sinai that God delivered to Moses Ten Commandments for His people. It was here that God gave Moses instructions, laws, and rules that make it possible for sinful humans to dwell in relationship with a just and holy God. Mount Sinai represents the standards of the kingdom that make a relationship with God possible. These are the standards of Eden. God is teaching us how to be holy. Remember, to be holy is to do the will of God every time. Good morning. And so we're so excited about this new series called Eden, the Kingdom of God. We said last week that the Garden of Eden represents God's kingdom or his headquarters on earth and that man was part of that kingdom at the very start. Last week we said Genesis 1.28 outlined God's commission to Adam and Eve and to their offspring and their job was to, uh, to govern and to rule or to reign over the earth. That was their commission. They were given the authority to do that. And as we all know, we're all familiar with the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of, of Eden and their encounter with a snake, Satan himself. And Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And in that moment, they handed over the authority that God had given them to reign over the earth. He, they handed it over to Satan, and Satan has become the prince of the world ever since that time. We have been at war in the heavenly realms. Jesus, when he begins his ministry, Mark chapter 1, verse 5, he says, The time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. And so what you and I need to understand is that from Genesis to Revelation, we see the 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 Garden of Eden, Eden resurfacing again and again and again. God's rule on the earth, God appearing, God's presence being, uh, being revealed to us. And God makes his plans for this earth and for all his people known through Jesus Christ. Now last week, I'm going to talk about more than that in a moment. But last week I said that there is a war between two kingdoms the kingdom of God or the kingdom of light, if you want to call it that, versus the kingdom of darkness. It's God's influence versus satanic influence. It's godly values versus worldly values. By godly values, of course, we understand that God's speaking of love and how we need to love one another, we need to care for each other, we need to live in holiness, in purity. The worldly uh, values, money, sex, and power, and if anybody's been following the election in the United States between Clinton and, and Trump, then we've heard no end of money, sex, and power. How many know what I'm talking about this morning? That has been what has dominated the, the debates, has dominated the discussions, the commercials, all the discussion, all the speeches. It's been about uh, Clinton's love of power and abuse of power, uh, sex, uh, 
Trump and, and, and Bill Clinton, and of course, money is a big issue. We see worldly values. And the Bible makes it clear that there is a war going on. Now, uh, we see it in other areas as well. There's a war between truth and error. There is a war between, well, for the, the, the big thing these days is, is sexuality, and it's God's standard of sexuality. It's, it's God's uh, standard of gender versus uh, sexual ambiguity and sexual confusion. Uh, it's God's will versus our will. It is Yahweh's people versus the world. And I say Yahweh to, to make it clear that we're talking about the one true God. And, uh, and here's what you need to understand. There's a reason why Israel is constantly under attack. God claimed Israel for his very own. In fact, the Bible says that Israel is God's inheritance. And it's for this reason that Israel constantly is under attack. And you may think it's because Israel is ignorant and they are, are mean to the Palestinians and so on and so forth. And I think it's almost synonymous. Can I tell you that for Christians, we have only one leader, and it's not Donald Trump. Someone say hallelujah. <laughs> but it's, neither, it's not Hillary Clinton either, and it's not, and hallelujah for that too. And it's, and, and it's not Justin Trudeau, and it's not Stephen Harper, and it, it's, it's Jesus Christ. As Christians, we follow Jesus Christ, and we stay in, ta- in step with the spirit and not with the leaders of this age, of this world. Are these leaders evil? Are they bad? That's not the question. The question is, is what are you and I doing as Christians in this world? That's what you and I need to to look at. And I'm going to tell you, there is a war going on. Here's what you and I need to be reminded of. We need to be reminded of what Paul tells the church in Philippi. He says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Now, that word citizens in Greek actually is the word of the realm. See, what what comes to your mind when you hear of the realm? It speaks of a kingdom. And so, again, we're back to that term kingdom, understanding that as Christians, we are not citizens of this world. Yes, I'm a citizen of Canada, but first I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. And I listen to King Jesus before I listen to King Trudeau or Queen Elizabeth or any other world leader. Do you get it? Get it? Some of us have got it. That's good. It's critical that you understand this before we go forward. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, of the realm of heaven, which means that we do God's will every time. Now, last week we talked about Eden, and we talked about how God told Adam and Eve that they're to rule over the world and that they were to uh, uh, use their rulership or their reign to further God's work, to further his kingdom, to advance his borders uh, on the planet. And as you know, uh, they sinned against God, and they handed over the, their rulership to Satan. And by the way, some of you say, well, what, is, what do we mean when we talk about governing or rulership? When we're simply saying 
that we are advancing God's kingdom, his rulership, that we are asking God to have his way uh, in our lives and wherever we are. But they refused to listen to God. They handed over the rulership to Satan, and Eden came to an end. Or did it? Because when we read through the Scripture, we discover something, that Eden did not come to an end when Adam and Eve were evicted. In fact, we discover that God's plans to, to, to take over the world, to make the world come under his benign, his friendly, his righteous and just rulership, has been delayed. In fact, we find that Eden resurfaces again and again. And that's what this series is all about, is to see God's reign on the earth and God's reign through you and through me. Satan has ruled over this world ever since the Eden abdication. And make no mistake about it, Adam and Eve abdicated. They left their position of rulership. They handed it over to Satan. And Jesus Christ himself confirms it. He says, the time for judging this world has come. Now, that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to reestablish God's rule on this earth. And Jesus says, the time for judging the world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be what? Cast out. Now, I've got to tell you something, and this is really important because a lot of people don't understand this. They say, well, after Jesus died for our sins and was resurrected, how come Satan still seemed to have power? Well, the Bible says that he does have power power on this earth. Why? Important to get this, because God's reign, his rule, is first in the hearts of human beings. And this is what caused confusion for the Israelites. They thought that Jesus was coming to set up his earthly kingdom, but Jesus said, I'm coming to set up a kingdom in men's hearts, because it's when your heart is surrendered to God, then there is changes geopolitically. That's when the changes take place. But first, it's got to happen in people's hearts. Israel, they thought, man, Jesus has come. He's going to set up his his kingdom, going to kick the Romans out, and we're going to rule the earth. But that's not the rule that God had in mind. The rule that God had in mind was a rulership in the hearts of human beings. Folks, listen to me right now. That's what you and I are called to do, to be part of that army of people that push the darkness back and bring hope and light to broken and hurting people. Do any of you know any broken and hurting people? Of course you do. Some of them are right in your family. Some of them live next door to you. Some of them, you work with them. And maybe some of you here today would say, well, Pastor Pastor Allen, I'm one of those people. The kingdom of light has has not broken through into my heart today. And my prayer is that before you go here today, you'll come and talk to me so that I can pray with you And I can introduce you to Jesus who loves you and so that Jesus can reign in your heart. Let's get back to what God is doing here in the Old Testament. After the eviction, Yahweh, I'm going to call God Yahweh so there's no confusion. Yahweh is God, the one and only God. He was not finished with humankind. In fact, what we discover, and again, Here's why you have to read your Bible. You say, Pastor Alan, I read the Bible. There's genealogies and all these things. I don't know what that's all about. Well, I'm going to give you a hint now. When you go back to read your Bible, think kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of God. And every page you're reading, think kingdom of God. 
we come to Genesis chapter 10, and there's what we call the table of nations. In the table of nations are the descendants of, um, of, of, of Noah. Nowhere in the table of nations is the nation of Israel. Now, why is that? And again, I, don't, I haven't got time to go into this, into the depth that I'd like, and that's why you need to sign up for the class. The reason for that is because the table of nations are the nations that God says, I am disinheriting. You have to understand that the world at this time is so much under the influence, the rule of Satan, that there is unspeakable evil on the planet. Evil beyond anything that you can imagine. Think of the most evil things that have happened in our generation and they'll multiply it times 100. It's evil beyond anything you can imagine. It's a kind of evil that was going on in the days of Noah when God had to literally wipe everybody out and start over again. But God, by... Genesis chapter 11 and 10 says, I'm not going to do that again because I made a promise. And what was the sign of his promise? A rainbow in the sky. I'm, so I'm not going to destroy them that way. But God says, if they don't want me, then I'm disinheriting them. I will no longer be their God. Instead, I'm going to raise up for myself my own special nation. And so God raises up for himself through Adam and Sarah, his own special nation, which we're going to talk about more in just a moment. But, but let me understand this. God calls Abraham and Sarah out to be his very own treasured possession. The Bible describes them that way. Isn't that fantastic? His own treasured possession. And their job now is to advance God's kingdom on earth. Now, you need to understand this. To make all these stories make sense to bring it together, to connect it. So now let's fast forward. Abraham and Sarah, they have had a child, a boy by the name of Isaac, and then, and then Jacob, and then from, that, from Jacob and his sons, we see a, a, a nation born. 430 years later, what happens? Moses arrives on the scene, and Moses ushers the children of Israel where? Out of Egypt crossed through the Red Sea into the wilderness. And what does God tell Moses to tell Pharaoh? This is very, very important. You need to understand this. Because this is, this is, this is not Noah just trying to think, oh, well, what shall I say? What kind of excuse shall I use? What God tells Noah, or what God tells Moses is, is exactly what God wants. God says, Moses, tell Pharaoh that I want my people to come out and to worship me. And so that's what happens. And God is not letting Egypt off the hook. God, is, God wants it. God demands it. And it has to happen. And, of course, you know what Egypt has to go through in order for the children of Israel to leave Egypt and to come and worship God. So where do they worship God? God brings them to a place called Mount Sinai. And it was there at Mount Sinai that the children of Israel were given the Ten Commandments. How many have ever heard of the Ten Commandments? What you need to understand about the Ten Commandments is that this is the constitution of the kingdom of God. God is saying to his people, to Israel, his, remember his treasured possession, he's saying, to be my people... You must live according to this constitution. 
You must do what this constitution says. These laws are the laws of my kingdom. And to be my people, you must live according to these laws. These laws, listen to me, these laws are set up, folks, to counteract the, the unrighteousness and the evil that has taken over the world. Israel, their job is to be the light of the world. Did you know that? In fact, you're going to find this out next week. In the building of the tabernacle, in the building of the temple of God, there is what we call the court of the Gentiles, the place where people who are not Jewish could come and worship. The Jews are the light of the world. This is the place where people who are not Jewish could come and discover who the true and one God is. Thrilling stuff. And so God says, if you're going to be my people, then here's what you got to do. You got to live like this. So God brought them out of Egypt to Mount Sinai. And, and oh, there's, there's thunder, there's lightning, there's, there's an earthquake. And the people are terrified that God's going to kill them all. And they say, don't, Moses, don't let God come near us because if he does, he's going to kill us. These people know the evil in their own hearts. They know how unrighteous they are. That's interesting about our God. He's a pure and holy God, not like any other God on the planet. Think about that. And suddenly they're in the presence of a righteous and holy God, and they are terrified. Moses, you go. You go talk to God. You be our mediator. Just don't let us, don't let us go near him. And so Moses goes before God, and God gives the Ten Commandments and the, and the rest of what we call the Torah. In total, 613 commandments. 16, 613 articles of this Constitution. If you're going to be in the kingdom of God, then you're going to live by these commandments. And here's what God's promises then to Israel. He says, now if you will obey me, if you will keep my covenant, if you will, if you will live by these ten commandments, then you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Now listen to this. This is so important, folks, because this is going to help you understand the whole Bible. Up until this point, this, at this point, God says, I have disinherited all the nations. Israel, you are my people. You're my treasured possession. You are my inheritance. That's what God's saying. And you will do what I tell you to do. In fact, I will bless you as you obey my commands. That's the agreement. That's the contract. That's the covenant. You will be a kingdom of priests, my holy nation. You need to understand today, folks, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you belong to the kingdom of God, and your job is to do what the king says. There's a lot of people who go to church every Sunday and have no clue what it's about. And, oh, yeah, and, and take the communion and put a few bucks in the offering plate. No clue what they're part of. Here's what you're part of, folks. As Christians, you are part of the kingdom of God and, and you're part of the advancement of his kingdom on this earth to bring light where there is darkness, to bring justice, to bring purity, to bring holiness where there is evil. Jesus said, that's why the Son of Man has come. The thief comes to rob and kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life. And not just any life, 
abundant life. When you live God's way and when you do what God wants you to do, when you live as the kingdom of priests, and by the way, what are priests? Priests are people who minister to God and minister to others. That's why we ask you to serve. This morning, we've got a very special service here. On this table is a table full of, of towels. And we give, uh, we've we, we got 24 people coming into membership today. Absolutely thrilling. 12 in the first service, 12 in the second. Every new member gets a towel as a reminder that you have signed up to serve. Because you are a kingdom of priests. That's what a priest is. It's somebody who ministers to God and ministers to God's people. That's what a minister is. And if you're not serving, my friends, Pastor Allen, this is a low blow. Taking advantage of an opportunity like this to make me feel guilty. That's not what I'm trying to do, folks. I'm trying to remind you of what God has called you to do. If you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, then your job is to serve God and to serve others. This is why we, we teach this as one of the, the seven habits. It's part of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. You need to serve, and you need to, if you haven't signed up to serve, you need to do that immediately because that is what you're called to do. Now, remember, Eden was a place from which Adam and Eve and their offspring were to reign and to rule with their God and Cain. By, ru by ruling and by reigning with God, what are we doing, folks? As Christians, we are bringing order where there is chaos. You take you to a country where there's no Christian involvement, no Christian heritage, no Christian background, and I'm going to show you chaos and disorder. Show me a country that's got strong Christian roots, and I'm going to show you a country where there's order, where there's law, where there's safety, where there's security and freedom. Why do you think everybody's coming to Canada? A country that goes, Winnipeg goes down to minus 40, and people are coming here, and they're saying, I want to live here. You come from a place where there's palm trees. What are you doing? I'll tell you. They're willing to sacrifice the sun, the warmth, the, the palm trees, the beach for law and order and safety and security. That's the power of the Christian message and the Christian kingdom, my friends. And you and I are God's agents. It's our job to bring this to a broken and hurting world. Now, I'm going to tell you this. Canada was founded on these Christian, these Judeo-Christian principles. But I'm going to tell you that that is not the case today. It's quickly shifting and changing, and we're losing ground quick. I'm going to tell you right now, my friends, the thing that's going to change this country around is not Trump, it's not Clinton, it's not Trudeau, it's not the leader of the Conservative Party, it's Jesus. And it's Jesus working through his people, through his kingdom of priests, through his holy nation. We are a nation within the nation of Canada. Our job is to bring hope and light to a world that's broken and hurting. When Gore and I were in Greece, one of the things that I did uh, with some other missionaries is we decided to go on a two-day trek up Mount Olympus. Has anybody ever heard of Mount Olympus in Greece? And if you know your mythology, you know that at the peak of Mount Olympus is where the gods live, right? Right? Does everybody know this or not? Am I just, has anybody been to high school? I think most of us know what I'm talking about. So anyways, two days climbing up to the, to the peak of Mount Olympus, and when I got there, guess what? 
no gods. But understand this. There's a reason why the Greeks believed the gods lived there. In fact, this belief or this understanding that the gods live in the mountaintops is something that is common to almost every civilization. And we see it consistently in the mythologies and the legends of different civilizations around the world. When the Bible was written, its readers would have understood the significance of God meeting his people on Mount Sinai. The divine dwelling of the gods, the places where they lived and where they, they met for governing the affairs of the world were portrayed in several ways. The two most common were gardens and mountains. Eden is described as both a mountain and a garden in the Old Testament. A lot of people don't know that. And I don't do this right now, but you can check it out yourself later on. Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 14 and 16, it describes Eden as not just a garden, but as a mountain. And so here's the thing that God is saying to his people. And to anybody who hears the story is that God's people met with God on the mountain in his dwelling place. Does God dwell on a mountaintop? No. But he dwelt there for a short time to meet with Moses and to send communications, messages to his people. And this explains, my friends, why, and again, if you've done any, any sort of research, archaeological research, if you have any interest in it, you'll discover that carved and painted on the temples of, in Egypt uh, are these images of luscious gardens and also of mountains, and why pyramids and ziggurats were built, not just in Egypt, but around the world. It's common to all civilizations. You can go to South America, and you'll find ziggurats. You can go to Cambodia, into different parts of Asia, you're going to find these ziggurats. They're virtually everywhere, and particularly in the Middle East. Let me just show you a few of them in case you're wondering what I'm talking about here. Here are the pyramids. Doesn't that look like a mountain range? This is what they want to do. They want to meet with God. Uh, and then we move on here. Some more ziggurats, these these. Uh, these buildings where people would ascend, ascend to, to the gods to meet. At the top of the ziggurat, at the top of these buildings, these pyramids, were the place where heaven and earth would meet and where people believed that they would hear from God. It was really a gateway to the spiritual world. Listen, people wanted to connect with God as much as people want to connect with God today. There's nothing new under the sun. This has been the story of civilization, of humanity from day one. Did you know that? We see it in Genesis chapter 11 when the people were building what? The Tower of Babel. What did they want to do? They wanted to connect with God. But look at it. I want you to notice something. And you're gonna, we're going to discuss this next week when we talk about the tabernacle, the temple of God. How many remember um, uh, Indiana Jones? In the, in, remember that? And the, the very first one that came out and they were getting a hold of the ark and looking inside of it, and the Nazis were disintegrated. It was so good. Did anybody remember that? We're going to talk about that next week. But here's what you need to understand, my friends, is that you and I cannot go into the presence of God. You and I cannot connect with God. You and I cannot know God. You and I cannot worship God the way we want to worship, and we must do it his way. It's critical that you understand this. You and I cannot go into the presence of God. Did everybody understand that? We've got to do it God's way, which is what we're going to find out about next week. 
But here it is, these people trying to meet with God in the various ways. This is an artist's rendition of the Tower of Babel. And, uh, yeah. you know, one thing I couldn't understand, they got a kind of leaning to the left. It's like, this is like the beginning of the Tower of Pisa. You know, that in, in, this is not what this is. But I thought, man, the, 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 the artists must have thought these people were rather stupid, that they couldn't build something straight up and down. These people were, were very clever, very smart. So clever, so smart, in fact, that God has to confuse their languages and disperse them throughout the world. Again, this is something we'll talk more about in the class that we're going to do in the new year. But here's what you need to understand. You need to understand that God establishes his kingdom on earth through his people, and his will is done through his people. Now watch this. When we get to the New Testament, we find Jesus going up to a mountain. It's very important that you see this. We call it the time when Jesus gave the sermon on the on the mount. You've heard of that. There's a reason why Jesus is going up onto a mountaintop. Look at this. Oh, by the way, that's Mount Sinai. That's where the Ten Commandments were given. I tell you, if you look at the mountain without that little uh, red path, it's really, really hard to, to get an idea of just how massive that mountain is. But that's where Moses went to meet with God. So Jesus, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. Now, please look what's going on here, folks. This is a mirror or a reflection of what happens in Mount, at Mount Sinai. When God spoke to his people through Moses, now we see Jesus also meeting on a mountaintop, meeting with his people. And what does Jesus say? How does he begin? Well, first of all, the whole sermon really is just a regurgitation of the Ten, Ten Commandments and the law of God. He is telling the people what the law of God means, practically speaking. But watch this. He says to the people of Israel, to, that's his crowd, by the way. He says, you are the salt of the earth. And what, is it, what does salt do? Salt flavors everything. Once you put a little bit of salt in something, I mean, that's it. Everything tastes salty. I tried making some soup the other day, some tomato soup, which I love. My dad and I love tomato soup. And I put too much salt in it, Dad. And no matter how much extra tomatoes I put in there, I could not get that. I could not get rid of that salt. I mean, I th don't tell Gloria this. I threw out buckets of soup because I could not get rid of that saltiness. Man, that's what salt is supposed to do. But if salt doesn't do that, what's it good for? Nothing. Jesus says. And then he says this. He says, and you are the light of the world. A light is lit not to be put under a basket, to be put out to what? To spread light out in the darkness. Now, I, when I used to read that, I used to think, man, that, that's for Christians. And Christians need to be the salt of the earth. We need to be the light of the world. But Jesus was not speaking to Christians. He's speaking to Jewish people. He was reminding the Jewish people of what their original call was. God originally called the Jewish people to be salt in the world and to be light. That was their kingdom commission, to go be salt and light. And Jesus is there now reminding them of what their job is. So, folks, what does, what does God want us to do as his kingdom people? First of all, and it's really important that you get this, the first thing is this, is that you need to understand that your job and my job is to know this book. And so here's, we're coming up to, the, to 2017 in just a few months. 
I'm going to challenge everybody here today to read through the Bible this year. Can we do that? In fact, I would challenge you to read through it sooner if you can, in less than a year, and start looking for the kingdom of God from Genesis to Revelation. Start looking for Eden, and you're going to be absolutely amazed at what you read. It's, the Bible will take on a whole new meaning. You'll be able to understand it now. But understand this, it's not enough just to take classes and to study the scripture. It's not enough, watch this, to become an expert in the law. Who else was called an expert in the law? Who? The Pharisees, that's right. And what did Jesus say about the Pharisees? They are a brood of vipers, of snakes. Who else is called a snake in the Bible? Satan himself. Let the Spirit of God speak to you right now because here's where so many Christians really, really drop the ball. We think, all I have to know is know the Bible and I have to memorize Scripture and if I could just, if I could just know the Greek and if I could know the Hebrew and if I could, if I could have just a translation, the, new, the NIV and the King James Version, the New Living Translation and the ESV. And it's like, know the Bible, folks, read it, but that's only half the job. You can't be just an expert in the Word of God. The Bible says that you've got to be a doer of the Word of God. That is the evidence that you are a part of the kingdom of God. Man, I know so many pastors, kids that come out of Bible school. I want to, I want to, go become, I want to become a professor. I want to teach New Testament theology. I want to teach Old Testament theology. I want to, and I'm thinking... We need more people in the trenches. We need more people out there to drive back the kingdom of darkness. We don't need any more experts in the law. We need people who will take the word of God and bring it to a broken and hurting world. Can I hear an amen? That's what God's called us to do, to advance his kingdom on earth, to help people find God. Let me just share this with you. This past week, I got an interesting email. Uh, and a lot of people, man, they're really terrified of these Muslims coming to our country. I mean, Donald Trump, has, his, uh, he's got a whole following based on that. Can I remind you that there is a battle going on? And again, it's not geopolitical. It's spiritual. There's a Muslim from Iran. His name is Javad. He didn't know any Christians, and he didn't own a Bible. But he had heard some Christian satellite radio. And in 2008, he left Iran and he migrated to Athens. And his roommate asked him if uh, he'd be, like, be interested or would like to come to an Iranian church. He, he couldn't believe his ears. He didn't know there was such a thing. An Iranian church, church, Iran, they wouldn't go together. Well, long story short, Javad went to that little tiny church in Athens. And, and he heard the gospel for the first time. And God spoke to him through his roommate. His roommate was faithful as a priest of the kingdom of God. Not a priest in the Roman Catholic sense, but as in the sense of what I shared with you recently, you will be a kingdom of priests. Javad heard the word of God and he surrendered his life to Christ and immediately began sharing the good news with all the refugees that were coming into Greece. He had never heard anything like it, and he couldn't understand why these people who, who were Christians weren't all doing what he was doing. 
He didn't want to do anything else but go and tell people about Jesus. It absolutely revolutionized, revolutionized his life. And every day, he says, he goes to a refugee center, and he says, every day, two or three Muslims are saved. Every day. He says, there are 2,000 Muslims at the center who have given their hearts to Jesus and who are obviously no longer Muslim. We're not, we're not doing battle with Muslims, folks. It's a battle for the hearts of people, and it's you and I who are called to do that work. Listen to this. He says, an informal network of new churches now have been established for all of the Muslim converts in England, in Belgium, in Germany, and throughout Europe. Everybody's panicking about these refugees, these Muslims coming into the country. And what's happening, folks, is they're getting saved and they're coming to church. In fact, uh, one Muslim reported that they were too terrified to leave their faith in their homeland. But now that they've come to freedom, they're free to believe in Jesus. One church in Berlin has counted 1,200 Muslim converts in three years. An Iranian church in Hamburg has more than 600 Pakistanis and Afghans who have lined up to be baptized in one service. One article in the Daily Beast reports that thousands, maybe tens of thousands of Muslims have become followers of Jesus across Northern Europe. Folks, that is what Mount Sinai is all about. It's marching orders. It's teaching us how God wants us to live in this world. It's the values of God of love versus the values of this world, which is hate and murder, money, sex, and power. Muslims right now threaten people to become Muslim. Christians invite people to accept Jesus. No force, no pressure. But the world is more afraid of the Christian who evangelizes than they are of the Muslim who holds a gun. Why? Because it's a battle for the hearts of people. And I'm going to tell you, all of hell will rise up and oppose anybody who's going to be faithful to the call to advance God's kingdom. 